Amen. All right, we're there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. And of course, you know that on Wednesday nights we study the Bible. We just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible. And uh, we are in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. If you remember last week, and keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 12. That's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Colossians, if you wouldn't mind. 1 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you remember, remember last week, we dealt with the first 11 verses of this chapter. We talked about spiritual gifts. Tonight we're just going to pick up where we left off and uh, work through the rest of the chapter. And I want to give you three points tonight uh, that we learned from this passage in regards to the church as a body. The church as a body, that's the theme of this latter part of this chapter, that the church is a body, and we can learn some things from that. But before we do that, I'd like you to look down at Colossians chapter number 1. Now, when you're in Colossians, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there, because we're going to leave Colossians, and we're going to come back to it later on in the sermon. And I want you to be able to get to it quickly, if you wouldn't mind. Colossians chapter number 1, and look down at verse number 16. The Bible says this, For by him... Now, the hymn there is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. I won't take the time to read the previous 16 verses for you to get the context, but you can do that on your own time if you'd like. The Bible says, For by Him, referring to Jesus, were all things created. And this is actually a great passage on the, on the deity of Christ. It says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers or things or things." were created, uh, excuse me, all things were created by him and for him. So notice it says that they were all, all things were created by him and for him, verse 17, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. So not only were things created by him, but by him all things consist. What that means is that when you woke up this morning, you woke up this morning because Jesus allowed you to, uh, because Jesus gave you the ability to. Look at verse 18, and he, talking about Jesus, is the head of the body. Now, what's the body? Notice what it says there. And he is the head of the body. What's the body? The church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church, all right? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's what we learn about. We learn about the church. And I want you to understand that Christ is the head and the congregation is the body. We make up the body of Christ. When we come together, we are the body of Christ. Now, there, there are local churches. There's no such thing as a universal church. One day, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ will return, and we will all be gathered together in heaven, and we will be one body. But right now, you know, this is a local body um, of uh, 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 of the Lord Jesus Christ here in Sacramento. And by the way, the church is not a building. I know you know that. But the church is a congregation of believers. We come together to make up the body, you know. Uh, you're not, uh, you, we don't go to church, you know. We are the church. We come together and, you know, this is a meeting of the Verity Baptist Church. We are meeting in this building. This building is not uh, the church, but it's a meeting of the church, because the church is an assembly, it's a congregation, and here we find the illustration that it is a body. So uh, keep your place there in Colossians, we're going to come back to it, but go to First Corinthians chapter 12, and look at verse 12, Christ is the head, we are the body. Let me give you three uh, statements, three points uh, from this passage, three things that we can learn in regards to the church as a body. Number one, 
For those of you taking notes, and I'd encourage you to take notes, uh, point number one is this. Every member is a unique part of the body. Every member, the first thing we learned in this passage is that every member is a unique part of the body. Every member is a unique part of the body. Look at verse 12. The Bible says this, For as the body is one, all right? So the body is one unit. It's one thing. It says, For as the body is one, but notice, and hath many members. Now, when the Bible uses the word members there, the word members is referring to body parts, all right? But, you know, that's why we often call people, you know, you're a church member. That's where we get that phrase from. But the word members there is literally talking about body parts, and it says, for as the body is one and hath many body parts or many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. What the Bible is telling us here, that in the body, the church, there is unity. When we come together, we come together as one body. The Bible says, for as the body is one. You say, well, yeah, but it's made up of many members. Yeah, but your body, you would look at your physical body and say you're one person, you're one body, but that one body is made up of different, you know, members. You've got hands and you've got feet and you've got eyes and you've got a nose and you've got hair and you've got a heart and you've got, you know, different body parts that come together to make up the one body. So you need to understand that there is unity in that body. And we're going to talk more about that at the end of the sermon. Look at verse 13. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be... I want you to notice this. He, he first explains us in verse 12 that in the body, the church, there is unity. But then he explains to us this. In the body, which is the church, there is also diversity. Notice what he says. He says, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. So notice he explains to us that in the body there is unity, but in the body there's also diversity. Go to Mark chapter number 11. You got Matthew and then the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 11. Now let me say this. Today... In, in, in uh, 2018, usually when people use the word diversity, what they really mean, mean is perversity, right? Today, when people talk about diversity, they're talking about transgender, they're talking about homosexuals and lesbians, and, you know, usually people talk about diversity, they're really talking about perversity. But honestly, here's what you need to understand. The local New Testament church is a very unique organization in the sense that this church and churches like this is the real way to unite diversity without perversity. But if there's one uniting factor in the world today, it is the local New Testament church, and you can do it in purity. You can have diversity without the perversity of this world. Are you there in Mark chapter 11? Look at verse 17. Notice what Jesus said. Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 17. The Bible says this, and he taught, saying unto them, is it not written? Notice what Jesus said. He said, my house, all right? There's different illustrations for the church of God. One is a body. One is a house. One is a family. One is an army. One of these days I'll preach a series on, on the different illustrations that the Bible uses about the church. And, and all those illustrations serve as an, uh, as an illustration of what we should be doing and how we should be acting and performing. But here he says, My house shall be called 
of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Notice Jesus said that his house, which we know the house of God is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. He said, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. I remember when I was a kid growing up, um, you know, I, I don't know if some of you may or may not know this, but I was not actually, I was actually not born in the United States of America. I was born in Venezuela. And uh, when I was four years old, we moved uh, to the U.S. And I've been here pr- practically my, my entire life. But I remember my dad, you know, telling us, because when we came to the U.S., you know, he, we stayed with uh, Christians, people, Christians that, that my parents, um, uh, you know, knew but didn't know that well. There were some American uh, Christians that had gone to Venezuela for a vacation, and they went to church, uh, to the same church that my parents went to church in, and they had fellowship with them and things like that. They, they knew them, and they, they knew them, you know, they knew them well enough to, to, to invite us over. I remember my dad saying to us, you know, um, uh, Christianity is the only thing that will allow you to go, you know, from country to country, from continent to continent, and find people that you do not know, but yet you have something in common, and it's Christ. You know, and, and, to, and even right now, our missionaries in the Philippines are experiencing that. We've got 16 of our church members in Manila, Philippines, and they're having great fellowship. They're having a great time. Some of them are, you know, uh, establishing some long, lifelong friendships and relationships with some Filipino Christians that they just met. You know, they just met them 24 hours ago and 48 hours ago or 72 hours ago or whenever they got there. They just met them. But you know, there's something about Christianity that it just brings all walks of life together. You know, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, bond or free. Even in this, uh, in this uh, auditorium tonight, something I love about Verity Baptist Church is the diversity, without perversity, right? But the diversity of this church. All sorts of different skin colors. All sorts of different backgrounds. All sorts of different, you know, uh, 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 educational levels and financial levels. And some of you live in very nice houses and some of you in not so nice houses. But yet we can all come together and be uh, in fellowship and really be united as the body of Christ for one reason, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we can unite under the fact that we're all sinners and we've been saved by the grace and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul is teaching us in this passage. He's saying all of the members of the body are very different. They're very diverse. They're very unique. But yet they are united in the body. My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. Is what Jesus said. And that's how church should be, by the way. We don't need, you know, churches that are, well, this church is just for black people, and this church is just for, you know, uh, Hispanic people, and this church is... Now, there's nothing wrong with having churches that are separated by language, if everybody speaks that language, but it shouldn't be divided by race. Why? Because the Bible says that my house shall be called, of all nations, the house of prayer. So, you know, if we go down to Manila and they speak English, let's unite with Filipinos. And we go, you know, we, we've got people here from all sorts of different... We're all speaking the same language. We are uh, preaching the same Bible. We're believing this, in the same Christ. There's unity there. So we learn that every member is a unique part of the body. The body has unity, but within the body, there is diversity. There is diversity, of course, without the uh, perversity of the world. 
and we can enjoy fellowship together, you know, and, 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 and even, even, even without leaving this country, some of you have traveled and you, you, maybe you're traveling in Texas or you're in Arizona or you're up in Vancouver and you show up uh, to, to church there and, it, and you don't even know those people, right? And it seems like Brother Oliver's just telling me, he was up in Vancouver this week and, and, and the, the fellowship was so sweet, right? And the friendships were so good and he went out to dinner with certain people, people he'd never even met before, but there was just a, a fellowship there. Why? Because of Christ, because of Christ and because of the Word of God, because of the doctrines that we believe, it really unites us, uh, this thing that we call the local New Testament uh, church. Look at verse 15, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 15. In the body, we learn that there's unity, and in the body, we learn that there's diversity. But what we need to understand that in the body, there should not be jealousy or envying or, or a comparing. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So he's saying, he, and he's giving an illustration here because obviously your foot doesn't talk, right? But he, he's saying, look, if the foot would say, you know, if I'm not part of the, you know, I, I, my position is not a good enough position. I don't want to be the foot. I want to be the hand. And if the foot says, therefore, I'm not part of the body, because the only way that I can be part of the body, the only way that I can have value is if I'm, you know, this certain position. I'm the hand, not the foot. He says, is he not? Is, he, is it therefore not of the body? Look at verse 16. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Here's what he's saying. He's saying in the body of Christ, in the local New Testament church, it's made up of all different believers. We should never get to the place where we are comparing ourselves with each other and saying, well, I don't have that position and I don't get to do that and they do that and I don't get to do that and I'm doing this. You know what? We need to be careful about comparing ourselves and we need to be careful about the comparison trap keep your place on first corinthians 12 go to second corinthians chapter number 10 i know you know the verse but let's look at it together second corinthians chapter 10 and look at verse 12 you're there in first corinthians just one book over second corinthians chapter 10 look down at verse number 12 second corinthians 10 12 says this for we dare not make ourselves of the number or notice what he says or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Now, what does it mean to commend? The word commend means to, it comes from the same word as recommend. It's when you're uh, speaking well of, of something. And here we're talking about someone who speaks well of themselves. And look, oftentimes when you find people who are braggers, people who are bragging on themselves, people who are commending themselves, they are trying to get you to envy them. They're trying to get you to compare yourself to them. And here Paul says, uh, for we dare not make ourselves of the number, or, he says, or, he said, let's dare not do this, compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Now, you say, well, why should we not do that? Notice what he says, here's why. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. The Bible says that it is a foolish thing to compare yourselves among yourselves, to measure yourselves uh, by yourselves. It is a foolish thing for the foot to compare itself to the hand. 
or for the hand to compare itself to the eye, or for the eye to compare itself to the ear. It is a foolish thing to compare yourself. And look, as Christians, we need to be careful, whether it's in the church life, or whether it's our secular life, or whatever, you know what, you know what I mean by that. We shouldn't, you know, there's one life, it's Christ, you know, whether it's secular or not. But, you know, in every area of our life, we need to be very careful about falling into the comparison trap. You say, why? Here's why. Comparing destroys contentment. Comparing destroys contentment. Some of you need to just throw out the television, you know, not just because there's a bunch of filth on there, although that's a good enough reason, but just, just for the commercials. You know, you watch these advertisements and you're just not content with your life. You know, you see this new vehicle and all of a sudden your vehicle is not good enough. But here's the thing, you, wouldn't, you, you didn't think there was anything wrong with your vehicle until you saw that other one. You didn't think there was anything wrong with your house till you saw that other one. See, comparing destroys contentment. We need to be careful not to be comparing ourselves, measuring ourselves by ourselves, comparing ourselves among ourselves, saying, oh, I'm a foot in life, and I wish I was a hand. Or I'm an eye in life, and I wish I was a, a, an ear. Why? Because comparing destroys contentment. And here's what you need to understand. What's the problem with destroying contentment? Not only does comparing destroy contentment, but comparing leads to covetousness. When we are not content, you know what we become? Covetous. We become lustful towards things that we do not have. And we need to be careful about this comparison trap. We used to have a young uh, family that came to our church. They don't come to our church anymore. But I remember we used to, I used to talk with, with this individual, and he, he used to, you know, he, I, I try to warn him, you know, you be careful about falling into this comparison trap and, and these things. But, you know, they, they'd been married for, I don't know, three or four years. They're young, you know, my age or younger than us. And they were talking to me about how they have to live in this house, and it's got to be the same neighborhood that their parents, you know, live in. And they've got to drive vehicles like the ones their parents drive, and they've got to have furniture like the ones their parents have. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, but here's the problem. It took your parents 25 or 30 years to get there you know it took your family you know be careful about you know well i've got to come to this level or you look at somebody else and say well i need to have a house like they have a house well wait a minute did, did, how long did it take them to get that house how long did it you know well i gotta have that type of status at my work i've got to have that promotion or i've got well how long did it take him to get there you know, it's a very foolish thing to look at someone. It'd be very foolish for me to look at my parents who are in, you know, in their 50s or in their 60s and look at where they are financially and say, well, I've got to be there right now and I've got to have a house as nice as theirs or whatever. Look, be careful about the comparison trap. If you're a foot, just be content being a foot for a while. If you're a hand, just be content being a hand for a while. I promise you, your parents weren't there when you were 30 years old or 25 years old or 20 years old, or, you know, whatever your age is. You know, and people get this idea like, well, I got to be, you know, where these people are and I've got to have this status. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, I got to drive the same type of vehicle that my boss drives. Well, yeah, but your boss you earned that. He's been there for a while. You know, he's, he, he's, he's, he's put in some, his time into that. So be careful about the comparison trap. And that's what Paul is teaching us. He's saying, look, if the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not the body. He says, if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not the body. Paul would say, that is foolishness. He says, let's make sure that we're not comparing ourselves with those that commend themselves, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. Why? Because it's not wise. 
It's a foolish thing to do in your life to just live your life comparing yourself, allowing your life to be overcome by covetousness where you just have to, you know, try to keep up with uh, the Joneses or whatever, right? Not, I don't mean these Joneses, just, just the bad Joneses. Go back to, first, uh, go, look, at, look at verse 17. If the, whole, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God, I want you to notice this phrase, focuses on, focusing on this. But now hath God, notice what the Bible says, set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Not only do we learn from this passage that every member is a unique part of the body, but I want you to get this. Here's the second thing we learn from this passage. Every member has a unique placing in the body. Not only is every member a unique part of the body, but every member has a unique placing in the body. Please understand what verse 18 is saying. Look at, look at it again. But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. The Bible says that it is God who placed the members in the body. What's the members? The body parts. What are those? That's, those are you and I. We're the members. What's the body? The church. Please understand this. Verse 18 says that it is God that places members inside of the church as it hath pleased him. This is not the only place in Scripture we find this. We find this later on in the chapter. Look down at verse 24. We're going to come back and cover the verses between, but look at verse 24 for a second. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says this. For our comely parts have no need. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Notice what it says. But God hath tempered. You see that word tempered? That word tempered would be like our word amalgamation. It's a mixing of things together. The Bible says, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the parts which lacked. Here we're told that God is the one that tempered. God is the one that mixed. God is the one that uh, brought the body together. Keep your place there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Go to Acts chapter number 2. Acts chapter number 2. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 2, look at verse number 47. You say, what does this mean that God set the members, every one of them, in the body? What does it mean that God hath tempered the body together? Here's what it means. God has divinely, divinely placed you in the local church. It is God that placed you in the local church that he has you serving in. That's what it says. God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. But God hath tempered the body together. Acts 2.47, notice what it says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And notice what the Bible says, don't miss this, and the Lord, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Who is it that added to the church? It is the Lord. Why? Because it is the Lord that set the members and every one of them in the body because God hath tempered the body together. Now, please understand this. We're not saying that what this means is that you have to be part of the same church for the rest of your life or whatever. You know, obviously, we understand that God moves people from time to time and God invests in people and things of that nature. But here's what, I'm, here's what you need to understand. You know, when you do find the church that you believe God has called you to, you need to just realize that that's God's will for your life. You know, don't live your life being a church hopper. I know of a family that lives in this city that has literally been a member of every independent Federal Baptist church in this city, and some of them twice. 
You know, I know of another family that has been a member of every independent Baptist church in like Northern California, you know, and many of them twice. And you know, the Bible says that God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. The Bible says, but God hath tempered the body together. When you're a part of this church and then you're there for a while and then you get mad about something and now you're a part of this church and then you're there for a while and then you get mad about something and then you go be a part of this church and then you're there for a while and then you get mad about something and then by then, you know, the first church is already forgotten. Well, you forgot what you were mad about, so you're back to that church and then you go to the other church. Look, is God confused? I mean, is God just a bumbling idiot up in heaven that doesn't know what he's doing? If God is the one that tempered the body together, if God is the one that set the members, every one of them in the body, just realize this, when you live your life just from church to church, just from here to there, it's not God that's confused, it's you that's confused. God is the one who added to the church daily. I remember when I was in the Air Force. My wife and I had got stationed at Travis Air Force Base. And as we were getting ready to go there, we made up a list. I think I don't remember what the, what the number was, but I think there were was, there was six to eight churches on that list that we were going to go visit each one of those churches and pray about which church we should be a part of because we feel that God... Set the members, everyone in his body. We wanted God's will on, on the matter. And we, we looked up, you know, all these different churches and we looked at their websites. We listened to preaching from those churches, the ones that had it available. We looked at their doctrinal statements. We came up with a list of about six churches that we thought, you know, these are the ones that we could check out within the area. We we're willing to drive up, you know, an hour. We were able to find within an hour of the, of the base six different churches. And the first one we were going to try was right in town because it was the one in town. So we thought, let's try that one first and you know we walked into that into that i remember we walked into church on a sunday on that sunday morning and it was just wonderful i mean it was an ifb church but you could tell i, I could tell the pastor did not go to bible college because you know you can tell when the pastors go to bible college because it's all this like this cookie cutter you know everything's exactly the same i mean the color scheme on the walls i mean how they say things and what we do and this church was just different you know it was uh it, it was uh, it was just a dip you know they sang they, they i remember i was impressed with the fact that they sang songs from the hymn book that i didn't know and i grew up in church my whole life and i'm like okay you know they're singing songs i don't even know that's great praise the lord the pastor preached a great sermon they went there they talked about soul winning they had like 70 soul winners at that time and you know we went home and, and we prayed about it, and my wife and I prayed about it, and we talked about it. We, ne- we just threw the list away. We never even went and visited any other church. We just, you just decided, you know, this is God's will, and we were just there. And, you know, you say, how long were we there? We were there till they sent us out to start this church. And if they would have never sent us out to start this church, we'd, still, we'd probably still be there, you know, or whatever. You know, I mean, unfortunately, the church has closed down since then, but we would have been there because, look, you need to just realize, and this is the problem with Christians, is they're just these wishy-washy you know, carry it about. They need, you need to just get settled and strengthened and just get some character in your life. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter number 1. Because look, this, God is not, I'm here to tell you, God is not for this whole like, there's five IFB churches in my town and I'm just going to go to one until the pastor says something I don't like and then I'm going to go to the one down the street. You know, God, that is not the will of God. That is not God's will. Either God brought you here or he didn't. You know, and when people leave here mad about something, I just I just tell them like, hey, you know what? If we if 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 God doesn't want you here, then then you need to go wherever God has led you. But you know, don't come back a year later without that matter being resolved because God is not confused about these things, 
right? I mean, either we're wrong or you're wrong, but if neither one of us gets right, then there's an issue here. Because God is not confused. God is the one that sets members. God is the one that has tempered the body together. God is the one that has mixed things together. God is the one that added to the church daily such as should be saved. And if God knows what he's doing, which I believe he does, then look, just get settled where God has you. For uh, Colossians 1.23, notice what he says. He says, Colossians 1.23, if ye continue in the faith, notice, grounded and settled and be not moved away. We need to just get grounded and settled from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. Go to uh, James chapter number 1. In James chapter 1, you're there in Colossians, you're going to go past First and Second Thessalonians, past First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. James chapter number 1 and verse 8. And you know, and if God moves you, you know, first of all, you should never move anywhere without making sure there's a good local church for you to go to. You know, this whole thing about moving and, well, hopefully we'll find something, that's ridiculous. But, you know, if God moves you, praise the Lord, just make sure that it's God's will. And look, if, if they're not King James, it's not God's will. If they're not soul winning, it's not God's will. If they're preaching, you know, repent of your sins, it's not God's will. All right? So, but, it, but of course, God can move people and might, God might call you into, into ministry or God might, you know, maybe a job opens up somewhere and there's a good local church. Obviously, all of those things are things that God blesses and God can move in that area. But this whole thing about I'm upset and I'm going to go to church down the street, that's not of God. You know, and people are always, you know, these churches just want to be swapping church members, you know, and it's like, well, I went to this church for six months and I went to that church. None of that is of God. The Bible says that God has uniquely placed you in that ministry. And, you know, if God moves you, then praise the Lord. But when God moves you, then just get grounded and settle there. James chapter 1 verse 8 says this, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And, you know, here's why you, God should move you, for doctrinal reasons. When a church is, you know, changing their doctrine and going the wrong direction, then, of course, you know, or as you learn more doctrine, you realize maybe this wasn't the church that I should have been going to or whatever. But, look, we need to be careful to not be just these double-minded, unstable people that are not going to prosper in life. First Peter chapter 5. You're there in James. Go, go to First Peter. Do me a favor. Uh, keep your finger there in James. We're going to come right back to it. You can lose your place in Colossians, but keep your finger there in James. Right next to James, you got First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 10. I love this verse because it's alliterated. I, you know, I alliterated a lot of my sermons, and I, I, I learned that from God, right? <laughs> First Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 10. But the God of all grace who have called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. Notice what he says. Here's God's will for your life. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. You know, you got an alliterated sermon right there. God wants to establish you, God wants to strengthen you, and God wants to settle you. And that should be the Christian life. You know, the Christian life should be a life where we are strengthened, where we are established, where we are settled, where we are not double-minded because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Keep your place there in James. We're going to come back to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and keep your place there in, in James. So what do we learn? We learn every member is a unique part of the body. And we learn every member has a unique placing in the body. And again, I want you to understand that there are reasons why God may move you and, and we acknowledge that. And there are reasons why God may move you from a good church. You know, it's, 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 not every time God moves you is it a bad thing. 
but, but, you know, make sure you get God's will in those matters and make sure that you're not just being one of these church hoppers. You know, when you look at 10, you know, 10 or 15 years of your life and it's like there's 10 or 15 churches in your history, there's a problem there. There's a spiritual problem with you, you know, with those individuals that live their lives that way. And by the way, let me say this before I get, we're going to uh, start right here in verse 17. But let, let me just say this. I, I was thinking about this when I was writing the sermon. Uh, Pastor Jack Hiles used to talk about this thing, about how people will get, uh, get upset at churches. You know, and they'll get mad about some situation, you know, something that's not going well. But you got to, I remember I heard him say this and I thought it was, it was real good. He, he talks about how people grade churches, you know. You, church life has different aspects to it. You know, you've got the preaching aspect of it. You've got the music aspect of it. You've got, you know, our church would have like a homeschool aspect to it. You know, we have the soul winning aspect. We have the fellowship aspect, you know. And, and you look at all those aspects and a lot of times, you know, here's what disgruntled people often want. They want the church to just be an A plus in every area right? I mean, the homeschool group better be A+, the preaching better be A+, the music ministry better be A+, the, you know, the, the fellowship better be an A+, and if there's ever th- anything lacking, you know, then, then it's not good enough. You know, but here's the question that Jack Howes asked, and I thought it was a good question. Is that the same standard you hold for yourself? I mean, in every area of your life, are you just hitting it you know, as a husband, as a father, as an employee, as a church member, as a neighbor. I mean, just in every area of life, you're just A+, plus, A+, plus, A+, plus, A+. Plus. And unless you're just extremely arrogant, you know the answer to that question is no. Right? But here's what's funny, is we give ourselves a lot of grace, but we don't give others a lot of grace, right? Look, if you're not just hitting it out of the park in every area of your life, you know what the Bible says? Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. If there's an area in the church that's lacking, you know, we're going to try to get it better and fix it. But you know what? Why don't you just be graceful? You know, maybe the music ministry could use help, which I don't think our music ministry could use help. I think our music ministry is the most awesome music ministry ever, you know, with the orchestra and all. I'm using that as an example, but, you know, if the preaching needs help, be, show me some grace, right? If, if the soul winning gets a little disorganized or the homeschool group could be a little better or whatever, look, you're not just hitting it out of the park in every area of your life. So look, the church is a body. Sometimes we're going to do better in some areas than others, and we're always growing. We're always trying to do better. And by the way, if there's a major complaint as far as, you know, we're just really failing, Pastor, in this area we are failing, then maybe God's calling you to that area to help us strengthen it, right? Strengthen and settle it and establish it. But, you know, let's just be careful that we don't show ourselves a lot of grace, and then we judge others, you know, sharply. If you're not hitting it out of the park in every area of your life, then, then don't get mad at your husband when he's not either, or your wife when she's not either, or the church when it's not either. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We saw, number one, every member is a unique part of the body. And number two, every member has a unique placing in the body. Here's point number three. Every member has a unique purpose in the body. Every member has a unique purpose in the body. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were a hearing, where were the smelling? See, every body part performs a different task within the body. And, and you know, he, he uses these silly illustrations, Paul does, but it makes sense. Even, even in our church, look, if, if everybody in our church, all everybody ever did was we played the piano, we wouldn't be a church. 
Now, I praise the Lord for all of the pianists we have in this church, you know, and on Wednesday nights, we rotate through different pianists, and we are having the pianists do, you know, different offerings and things like that, and it's okay to have more than just one, because your body has more than one hand, right? You know, you got a couple of hands, you got a couple of feet. It's good to have a couple of violinists. It's good to have a couple of trumpet players. It's good to have several pianists. Nothing wrong with that, but there would be something wrong with that if just everyone in this church, all we did, every single one of us, we just played the trumpet. That wouldn't be a church. All, all, all of us, all we do is preach. Nobody sits and listens. We just all preach, right? Or, you know, whatever it is, all of us just look. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, if the whole body were an eye, who's going to hear? And if the whole were an ear, we're hearing, who's going to smell? Where is the smelling? He says, every body part performs a different task within the body. And if everybody performed the same task, it wouldn't be a body. Verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it had pleased him. Verse 19, and if all were one member, where were the body? But now are they, notice what he says, many members, yet but one body. I'm glad that this church is made up of many members. I mean, sometimes I sit down and think about everything that happens in this church. I don't, one of these days, I mean, I don't know if you realize, every, we've got like six people that, you know, make maps for our soul winning ministry. You know, we've got like, I don't know, 20 people that clean these buildings, you know, at different times during the week. We've got like, I don't know, 15, 20 people that play in our music ministry. We have several song leaders. We have several Bible readers. We have, you know, 70 plus soul winners. We have all sorts of different people that do all sorts of different things. We have people serving in the sound uh, in the sound room and with the different live streams and with the different videos. I mean, and I, I'm I, I even I'm forgetting it. You know, things now. I'm sure we've got people that come in here and volunteer to fix things in, uh, around the building and set stuff up and tear things up. You know, and, and all sorts of things. And it's a great thing because we are all one member. If we were all one member, where is the body? But now are they many? members yet but one body now why is paul saying this here's why he's saying this look at verse 21 he says and the eye cannot say unto the hand i have no need of thee nor again the head to the feet i have no need of you nay much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary and here's what he's saying he's saying look because you serve a unique purpose, we need you. Because you serve, see, God gave you, because you say, well, what does it have to do with the, with the context of spiritual gifts? Because remember, the first 11 verses has to do with spiritual gifts. Here's the context. He's saying, God gave each one of you a spiritual gift an ability, something you bring to the table, something you do. And then God chose to place you in this local body of believers with that spiritual gift, with that ability, so that you could be used of God as we strive together for the faith of the gospel. And what he's saying is you have a unique gift, you have a unique ability, you have a unique personality, you have a unique, you know, God wants to use you in a unique way. And because you serve in a unique purpose, we need you. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Because the eye does a different thing than the hand does. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Even the more feeble are necessary. Now here's where the, the mix-up comes in with people. Because this is what often happens to people is they start, they get real arrogant and they think, well, that church would not survive without me, you know. 
And we're like, I'm going to show that church. I'm going to go down the street and go to another church, right? Uh, here's the thing with that. And, and look, please understand this. When you get mad at me and go to the lame IFB church down the street, you're not punishing me. You're punishing yourself. You're, I'm not the one that has to sit there and listen to the lame preaching week after week. You know, it's like, you're not hurting me. All right, I get to stay in the cool church. You know, you're not, you know, maybe find a different way to punish me, but you're just punishing yourself at that point. You know, when you go down to the, you know, you got to go to the IP church where they're bringing in the transgender, they're bringing in the sodomite. You know, you got to keep your eye, but you're punishing Pastor Jimenez. I don't really understand how that works. But here's, here's what you need to understand, okay? Here's the point of this, of this whole thing about I have no need of you. Here's what you need to understand. You are not you and I. Please understand that. I'm not saying you. It's all of us, including myself. You and I are not indispensable. You are not indispensable. What do you mean by that? That means that we will go on without you. You are not indispensable, but please understand this. You are irreplaceable. You're not indispensable, but you are irreplaceable. See, if I was in an accident and I lost my hand... I could go on. I could live without a hand. I could live without a foot. My foot is not indispensable. I could, my hand is not indispensable. But you know, it's, not, it, it, it's, it's irreplaceable. Once I lose my hand, I can't get my hand back. You know, once they took, you know, once you have that surgery and they take that, you know, what is that thing that my wife got that taken out? What is that? The, what is it? Yeah, once they take that appendix out, it's not coming back, right? You know, it was, evolution tells us you didn't need it. Your monkey, you know, ancestor needed it. No, you know what? You may have needed it for something, you know. And I get it that they have to remove it. You know, my wife had it taken out, you know, whatever. Many of you have had it taken out. But here's the thing. Once it's gone, it's gone. You know, once they amputate that toe, you're not getting it back, right? But here's what you understand. People live lives without toes and without fingers and without hands and without feet. And it's the same way with the church of God. You are not indispensable, but you are irreplaceable. We can never replace you. When you leave and you go and you get mad and you whatever, you get backslidden or whatever it is, we will never replace you. God specifically set you here with a specific aptitude, with a specific spiritual gift for a specific person purpose, we will never replace you. But please don't ever, don't ever confuse that with, we won't go on without you. Because we've had many people, I gave $15,000 last year, I gave $20,000, and I'm leaving this church. And you know what? It hasn't hurt us one bit. It's funny how like people leave that, you know, give $10,000, and two weeks later, somebody else shows up that gives $10,000. You say, why? Because God has placed every member in the body as it hath pleased him. And I'm not saying that to say, you know, go ahead and go. What I'm saying is this. No one is indispensable. And by the way, if I die tomorrow, do you know that Verity Baptist Church could continue? I'm not indispensable. It's not like this whole thing just rides on me. If I'm not here next week, you could continue on. But you know what? You'll never replace me. And you know that's true. (laughs) You'll never replace me and we'll never replace you. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head uh, to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, right? So you are not indispensable, but you are irreplaceable. We will go on without you, but we'll never be the same. You understand that? Somebody loses their hand, they'll go on, but they'll never be the same. And if you leave, you know, if you get backslidden, if you get out of the will of God, we will go on without you, but we will never be the same because we, we, you are not indispensable, but you, you will never, we will never replace you because God has placed you here within this context, within this body for a specific reason. So what do we learn from this passage? Every member is a unique part of the body and every member has a unique placing in the body and every member has a unique purpose, has a unique purpose in the body. Now, let me just give you some concluding thoughts that Paul gives us in this passage. Because of that, because we are all one body, there should be acceptance. Look at verse 23. Notice what he says. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, what does it mean to be less honorable? It means less respectable. And I'm glad that we don't have this issue at our church. You know, I'm preaching about it because it's in the text. But, you know, he says there are some people that you might look at them and say, uh, you know, the, I, I would give them less honor less respectable. He says, upon these we bestow the more abundant honor. And our uncomely, the word comely means attractive or acceptable. When something is acceptable. He says, and our uncomely, some people you may look at them and say, that's not very acceptable. He says, our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, uh, uh, having given, notice what he says, more abundant honor to that part which lacked. I mean, the truth of the matter is that if we just took out, you know, a piece of, of human liver or stomach or a heart or a brain, you would not want to look at that. It would be uncomely. But you know what? You need your brain. You know, you need that part. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, because of the fact... Because of the fact, go, go to James if you kept your place there. Because of the fact that we are one body, we're united as one body with many members, he says there should be acceptance in the local church. And you know, I don't know if you realize this, but acceptance is something we all crave for. It's the reason some of you did drugs when you were in high school. It's the reason some of you, you know, smoked pot and did alcohol or drank alcohol or quit school, or did all sorts of things. Why? Because acceptance is something we all crave for. We all crave it, you know? And, and our world is trying so hard to make these, you know, filthy, reprobate pedophiles, you know? Why do they want to fight? Why do they want to, you know, why do they want all these laws? Why do they want this? Because acceptance is something we all crave for. But, you know, God established a local New Testament church in order to feed or to, to have uh, that emotional need of acceptance, you know, there should be acceptance within the local church. Now, not for the sodomites, all right? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Because remember, it's, it's diversity minus the perversity, all right? And, but here's the thing. You know what? Less people would go down that road. Because look, people don't wake up one day and become a reprobate. You understand that? They go down a road that leads them to becoming a reprobate. And less people would go down that road if more churches were less accepting of that garbage. And, and, and actually stood up and preached against it, and I'm on my Sunday night sermon now. But look at verse 23. And those members of the body, which, I'm sorry, James chapter 2. Look at verse 1. We are to be accepting of people 
we should not we should not give more honor and you know more uh, comeliness uh, to those that are uncomely or less honorable. James chapter two, he talks about it. Look at verse one, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Notice what he says with respect of persons. What does it mean to have respect of persons? It means you esteem one better than another one. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil things. Here's what he's saying. He's saying we should never, uh, you know, get to the place where some visitor shows up and they're dressed nice and they drove into with a nice vehicle and they've got, you know, designer clothes on and we just treat them real nice. And then somebody else that is obviously poor and, you know, doesn't have the things of this world and then we treat them wrong. You know, we should treat everybody and accept everybody the same. Why? Because we're a body. Because if God brings someone here, we're a body of believers and we should not be partial. Notice verse 4. Are ye not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? And I'm thankful for our church because I've never seen this in our church. I think we're very, you know, hospitable and accepting of, of people no matter what walk of life. But that's what Paul is teaching us in this passage. That's what James is teaching. Look at verse 8. If ye fulfill the royal law, what's the royal law? That's the whole treat people the way you'd like to be treated, right? The world calls it the, the golden rule, but the Bible calls it the royal law. According to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So look, because we are one body, because we are many members that come together as one body, we should, there should be acceptance here. We should accept people. We should not say, oh, I esteem this one better you know, than this one. I honor this one more. I give them more respect. No, no, just treat everybody the same. Respect everybody the same. Love everybody the same. Go back to 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Not only should there be acceptance, but because we are one body, there should be no division. There should be no division. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says this, that there should be no uh, schism in the body. That's referring to division but that the members should have the same care one for another. The Bible says that there should be no division. And look, if you're here tonight, and, and look, I, I honestly don't know of, of this happening in our church right now, uh, you know, but obviously I don't know a lot of things that happen in our church. But if you're here tonight and you've got some issue against a brother or sister in Christ, you know, you're not right with God. There should be no division. And God gives us, you know, steps to resolve conflict. If there's conflict between you and a brother in Christ, then look, then you should go to them and try to resolve it. You should go to them and, and, and you know, the Bible tells us that you go, you know, to them individually and you speak to them and you let them know about your problem and if, if they repent, then you have, you know, a, uh, established relationship and you've reestablished a relationship. If they don't repent, then, you know, you bring a witness and then you take it before the church and, of course, you know, you want to involve the pastor and all that. But there's steps there. Why would God give us those steps? Because he doesn't want division in the church. And... And here's the thing, oftentimes, you know, and I'm thankful for the people that come to me with problems and I say, hey, here's what you should do. And they go down that road and do that. That shows a lot of maturity. You know why? Because it's hard to do that because we don't want to do that. But we should do it. 
We should do it because God desires that there be no division in the body. But here's what people will often say. They'll say, oh, well, um, it's not that big of a deal. Or I don't want to, you know, do all that. Well, look, if you don't want to do all that, then just let it go. Just let it go. If, if you're either, you're, you're either going to deal with it and go to the individual and say, hey, you know, there's an issue here that we should resolve, or you should just let it go. But here's what you should not do. It's just be bitter about it and be angry about it. You know, and then, I've, I mean, I've, I've heard of a situation, I've had people come up to me and they're just like, I've been mad at you for five years. And I'm like, thanks. I've been praying for you five years. Good night. You know, it's like, it, look, just get it right or let it, or if it's not a big deal, let it go. And look, some things you need to just let go. All right. If you're bringing up something that happened eight years ago, you need to just let that go. Okay. Sometimes people are like, oh, you know. Uh, eight years ago, you, you sat in my chair. It's like, come on, good night. Obviously, we're talking about big issues, though, that have hurt you, that have offended you. You should bring those to the individuals. And, you know, and, if some, and by the way, if someone comes to you with something, hear them out. You know, don't go on defense and, no, that didn't happen or whatever. You know, you say, why? Why? Because, look, we all need to be mature to deal with these things because God desires that there be no division in the body. I mean, how silly would it be if my left hand was mad at my right hand? You know, if my left foot was mad at my, you know, right foot. And in the body, there needs to be acceptance. And in the body, there should be no division. We need to learn to work together. We need to learn to get along with each other. And we realize that people have different personalities. And some people are very easy to get along with, and some people not so much. You know, and look, if you don't get along with me, that's okay. Or I don't get along with you or whatever. You know, we have, our personalities clash. That's okay. But we try to work through those things. You know, and you, if you have an issue, if there's someone in the church that you, you know, we sit on this side of the auditorium, they sit on that side. Look, that's not of God. That's not right. Because God desires that there would be no division in the body. And he, here's how that looks. Because he tells us what that looks like. We're, we're done right here. Look at verse, last part of verse 25. But that the members should have the same care one for another that the members should have the same care one for another. For whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. See, you say, how do you know if there's unity in, in, in the church? You know there's unity if we're all caring for each other. If we're all hurting when the other one's hurting. If we're all um, you know, rejoicing when the other one's rejoicing. You know, if we're all, uh, there's been situations here at, at our church where, you know, I'm thinking about uh, Brother David and, and, and uh, Miss Victoria when the baby was in the hospital a couple of months ago. And I think, you know, all of us were, I mean, obviously not in comparison to them, but all of us were worried sick for that baby. You know, I'm praying for that baby and concerned about that baby and praying every day. You say, why? Because look, when one member suffers, all members suffer with it. That's how it should be. Or one member be honored, all members Rejoice with it. That's something the world's never going to give you. Look, no bowling league is going to give you that. And Facebook's not going to give you that. And your job's not going to give you that. But you know what will give you that? A local New Testament church. A body of Christ that comes together and we work on our problems and we realize that God has called us for a purpose and we're trying to accomplish something and we realize that we are all unique but we are all here for a purpose and God has placed us here and we get to work together. Isn't this a, Look, God solves all the problems 
that the world is trying to fill with drugs and alcohol and, you know, perverse things. God has given us a local New Testament church that meets all of your social needs. It meets all of your emotional needs. It meets everything you need when it's done right. When it's done right. Well, how does it get done right? Well, you have to do it right, and I have to do it right. And we have to work together as a body, unique individuals that come together for the glory of God. Let's bow here tonight with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture, this beautiful illustration of different members, different people coming together for one purpose, to carry out the Great Commission in this world and to be the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that every person here matters. Every person has been placed here for a reason. And Lord, if there's uh, issues within the church, I don't know of any, but if there's issues in the church, Lord, I pray you'd help people to resolve those and help us not to live with division and help us not to live, uh, you know, with, with anger. Help us to realize that everybody's unique. Everybody has their, their, their little things about them that makes them special and you brought them here for a reason. You've got a plan for them. And Lord, I pray that you would help every single person to get involved in the ministry. Help, help, help our church not to be a spectator church. But Lord, help us to realize that we're here to do something, to accomplish something. You have a spiritual gift. I have a spiritual gift that God has given us. Help us to get involved and to use those gifts. And Lord, we just pray for the Philippines missions trip. We pray that you would help them as they're out there, Lord. Encourage them, help them to see many people saved, and bring them all safely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.